the subject for the evening talk is not of this world. With regard to the instructions uh, initially, on the first uh, day of the retreat, we began giving care and attention to the, the experience of breathing, of breathing life. And in that, we established a relationship with uh, inhalation and an exhalation. And one of the features and characteristics of that, which we pointed out, was that it's a very direct and immediate and rather ordinary experience of coming and going in this world, of change in this world. In that, we too then expanded out our field of attention that bit much further and began to include our experience of bodily life. And in that experience of bodily life, we uh, initially uh, addressed the various locations of pain and discomfort in the body, but also the whole awareness and sense of bodily life, just as it is. And one of the useful and distinguishing features of immediacy of experience with the body is that in the very action of doing that we cut through in that moment the generalized image and label that we carry and, the, and that we have of who we are. We cut through in the experience of vibrations of body, sensations of body, vitality, life of body, there's an moment, in those moments it's a, it's a minor but useful breakthrough to the image of who we are. That image of who we are tends to be identified in terms, of course, of age, in terms of gender, of colour, of size, of shape, of health, of sickness, and a variety of what one might call outer appearances of bodily life. And these outer appearances of bodily life, size, shape, age, gender, weight, etc., begin to matter, and sometimes to us, of course, matter quite considerably, mattering to such a degree that it can become obsessive, anxiety-producing, and in the influence of that, actually generate ill health and sickness. So we see that the way that we perceive ourselves physically is often not actually directly in touch with the experience of bodily life, which is vibrations and sensations and that which accompanies it, but the actual image and picture that we have of ourselves and who and what we are at the physical level. And it takes wisdom, of course, and certainly awareness to be able to perceive directly what actually is the vibrational life of bodily existence and what also is the manner of description, the way we think about, the way we conclude about our physical being. So though it seems rather unimportant and sometimes inconsequential the moment of being with the breath, or the moment of experiencing bodily life, it's also a small but 
useful revelation to us that we're not actually indulging in the notions of who I am through a bodily appearance, through a bodily image and preoccupation. And as Christina Feldman, uh, uh, co-teacher and a long-standing friend, uh, once commented uh, in a talk that she was giving when we were teaching together, she remarked, she said, if the amount of time we have spent looking in the mirror at ourselves and all the judging that goes along with it had been given to uh, service to other human beings, it would be a remarkably different world. <laughs> this is a kind of reflection, I think, and probably with much accuracy to it, how the image and the picture of ourselves begins to carry a great deal of weight in our life, and, what, and we look through ourselves, through the picture. And we're saying here, I begin to spend our life looking at the picture of ourselves, <laughs> looking at the image of who we imagine that we are, or are we going to run deeper than that? And of course, of course, there is uh, the necessity for the outer considerations, of course. And thus, factors of posture, factors of diet, factors of exercise certainly need to be embraced and included in the spiritual life. But therein, in touching with vibration and sensation of life, we have been expanding our field of attention from the breathing experience, including that, to into the bodily life as it's revealing itself in consciousness. Thus, some dissipation in those moments of the ideas and the images. <coughs> We then began to expand and have been expanding the field of awareness and attention a little bit more. We have spoken about states of mind. We have spoken about the world of sound and the varieties and non-varieties that come to our ears during the day in sitting before the talk. And in that expansion, we might say, well, it sounds like it's just a meditation method and technique. It's uh, just a way of including purposefully some more objects in the field of attention. And that certainly can be a useful, useful way of describing uh, what is taking place in that experience. But I think it w works deeper than that. And saying works deeper than that, what does it mean when we begin to open our field of attention or our field of awareness out further. What does that mean for us in our experience and sensitivities? In the moment of the opening the field of attention out further, what we're actually saying to ourselves indirectly is that my consciousness, so to speak, my awareness, has the capacity to embrace more and I begin to look at myself, my relationship to the world, that at, that at times I focus on a particular. And at times I need to do that in life. I need to have the capacity, or the power, this is one of the genuine powers of life, to focus on a particular and be 
quite devoted, single-heartedly, single-mindedly to that at the exclusion of. And human beings, we have this capacity, and it's a particularly special capacity to be able to do that. In that care and attention to what I focus upon, something else is also going on with me. And what's going on with me in that moment is my world, as I know it, is established through my relationship with what I concentrate on. Through what I give care and attention to, it, the object, whatever it is, is beginning to show me as it has to do something about myself. Focusing on the object tells us about the subject. It tells us about the subject. So I don't begin to think my, this object is so different, so apart and separate from me, but in fact this object is related to the subject. Whatever I put a, my attention to it will tell me a great deal about who I am. And I want to know who I am. And therefore I say, let the object be a factor in that. Sometimes we are exclusively, and it can be appropriate both here and elsewhere, of course, quite focused on that object. Breath or or a focus of interest, or an action of creativity, or, a, or a, 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 the disciplining, disciplining of the mind on a specific. And that relationship is established. In the relationship being established, there's a certain absorption taking place of the mind, which is the subject, or consciousness more precisely, with the object. I'm absorbed in that. In that absorption, in those moments, I sometimes I forget myself. I'm so in touch with that, I'm so involved with that, I'm so connected with that, that everything else seems to have faded out of my world. And I'm sure you and I, we have had the experience in our life here and elsewhere, where we've been so absorbed in something, and then somebody has come along and say, hey you, and tapped us on the shoulder or whatever and there has been a, a disturbance in the absorption. In that disturbance, in that absorption, I get separated from the object. The subject is reborn very strongly and sometimes there is a reaction that goes with it. So I find myself living in the world where at times I'm very absorbed in an object and at times I feel very separate from that object. I am familiar with both of these experiences and I call both life, both of this world. In that relationship, the object of interest, whatever it is, revealing about the subject, the subject being revealed through the object. That interplay which goes on also in that dynamic establishes something else about life, also of this world, what we might call the describer 
and what is described. The describer, the self, the subject, and what is described. And I live in a world, my idea of the world is one of a describer and a described. I might describe what's happening around me. It needs a describer. I might describe my experiences. It needs a describer. I might describe uh, a situation. I might describe what the truth is, what the nature of things is, what the mind, the heart is, what action is, or whatever. So each time my mind moves, the attention moves, it takes an object, it relates to that object, and therein, therein is a describer and a described. And I say, this is life. This is what it's all about. The whole field of the world, of existence, of my body, of my mind, of my heart, of my ideas, of what I do, all of that fits in to this picture of life which I call the described and the describer, the knower and the known. And we live this way, we sometimes meet each other this way, sometimes we clash with each other this way, when our description and, our, and the describer meet with another description and a describer, there's a meeting, and when they don't meet, there is a clash, and sometimes we'll kill each other because of the size of the differences according to one describer and the other. But it's still in that world, of that world, and then we say, this is the truth of life. This is the only true reality. This is the way things are. There is nothing except describer and described, knower and known. Whether it's agreeable or disagreeable, it becomes our whole sense of the world. <coughs> Sometimes, as we expand out our field of attention, something begins to happen to the subject. Something begins to change inside if we've been really noticing what's going on with us. <coughs> and one of the things that begins to change is that as we allow more space, as we open out our field of attention and expand what is taking place for us, we can't keep the description the describer going so easily. When we've got one thing to describe, our experience of the breathing, our experience of walking on the earth, our experience of taking and chewing the food, or whatever, or our wandering mind, or whatever it might be, then it seems like the describe and the describe, the relationship, we can concentrate on that and give a description. But when we allow the field of awareness to open out, when we begin to include more, it seems to allow more space, and it doesn't seem quite so appropriate to keep describing because of the diversity, the multiplicity of what's going on. Then what? 
So then we say we, we begin to acknowledge some features of, what's of the diversity of what's taking place. One of them is bodily life. Bodily life plays an important part in the movement for liberation. That in the relationship to bodily life, when we have cut through some of the outer, that descriptive image stuff which I spoke to you about, then we're left with bodily vibrations and sensations. The degree of those may vary, of course, from one person to another. Sometimes, as there is a quietening of bodily sensations, we think or we imagine, or we have been told before, I should stimulate the bodily sensation, I should put more willpower into it, bring out more uh, sensation of vitality out of my bodily experience, as though one hasn't had enough in one's life already. In that relationship to bodily life, when there is stillness, an erect posture, and the eyes are closed, in those experiences, at times, the formation of body, the shape, the size of the body itself, the appearance of the body as one knows it, doesn't seem to have a relevance. One is impeccably still. It may be for a moment or a few moments or two. One is familiar with the kind of strong sensations which have been occurring. But in that impeccable stillness which takes place, sometimes, not for all, the strength of the sensations themselves begin to diminish. A quietitude begins to accompany that feeling of bodily life. And sometimes in that quietitude which is taking place, as some of you have been describing in small groups and one-to-one, then in that quietitude which begins to take place, the substance of body seems to get less and less almost by the moment, almost by the degree. And we are sitting and we say, the describer doesn't seem to have a function. The bodily life doesn't seem to have the kind of substance and firm, hard reality that I imagine. I'm just sitting, I'm, I'm very still, I'm bringing awareness to the living present, and the substance of the body doesn't seem to be quite as fixed as I had always been thinking and imagining and believing. It's like it's just a, a subtle vi pulse of life, a subtle vibration of life, which is, in those moments, just touching, just gracing consciousness. And my idea of I am this body doesn't seem to have the authenticity and the truth to it as it does when I look in the mirror, as it does when somebody gives me some feedback about my appearance or about my uh, physical condition or whatever, that I can actually experience in the silence and stillness of things none of that at all. And therefore, it doesn't have any relevance for me in that moment. I say, my body is not my life. Sometimes that refinement of being, 
which is a very precious, precious and exquisite and lovely thing. The subtlety which uh, accompanies that refinement also can be the spark, the trigger for other forms of experiences. And it's not that we are interested at all here in effort. We are not interested in desire. We're not interested in the use of willpower because all of that belongs to ego. It belongs to self and pushing. And what we're saying is that there's a kind of quality here. It's a quality of trust in life itself. It's a trust in silence in which life is uh, accommodated. And in that silence of things, in that stillness of things, in that we can then allow what needs to take place in, our, in this process to take place. The silence gives us this opportunity. And rather than doing something, we are actually going against the mainstream because we're saying, please, let us do, when we sit, as little as possible. As little as possible. Because when we are doing something, turning our attention towards, in a way, we're re-establishing the world. And we're re-establishing the described, and we're re-establishing the describer, the subject and the object have just been reborn into this field. So we say, we're here, and, and we are doing as little as possible. So little, in fact, that at times there's that awareness which accompanies that doing of little in which when you and I, in a moment, move our little finger in a single moment, we know we have disturbed the world, the 10,000 worlds in which, this, which rest in this universe. One, sometimes one single moment, just of movement of one little finger, which gives substance to that finger, gives reality in that movement. In that moment, it's disturbed everything forever. Meditative life, contemplative life, shows the significance of the tiniest gesture and its eternal ramifications. So at times we are sitting in that stillness of things. In the sitting in that stillness, as I say, there is some refinement which takes place of bodily life. Body is not quite solid and shaped as we imagine. That very sensitivity of being, precious, may allow and may provide the opportunity for other forms and manifestations of human experience to take place. Not, not organized, not pursued, not sought for, not accelerated, not driven towards, but in the very organic nature of things, our state of not doing allows the doing to take place of its own, not born of the will. This movement, which takes place not born of desire, but born of the movement, sometimes brings into consciousness a whole range of experiences which are unfamiliar, unknown, and have not happened before in one's conscious memory. 
sometimes we are, you could keep still please yeah. sometimes in that movement which takes place in from the inner and that movement through there when experiences are taking place which are unknown and unfamiliar it tends to render impotent the describer the describer is rendered impotent because the describer of experiences needs concepts, needs language, needs the past to put some forms of experience into context. And sometimes we have said of ourselves and have said to myself, something is happening, I don't know what words to use. I don't know how to describe my experience. I don't have any way of, of explaining it. I can't put it into the field of pleasure. I can't put it into the field of suffering and pain. And I can't put it into the field of, of, of something just neutral. I don't know, just don't know how to put it into a way which I can understand or somebody else that I speak to can understand which is in a way saying my world of the describer and the described isn't quite as authentic as we imagine. Our descriptions of life do not tell us anything about the truth. Sometimes The rush, the movement of some of those inner experiences in the religious life, in the spiritual life, as I say, cannot be explained. Sometimes when they have happened, either here or elsewhere, the wish of the mind is to pinpoint a time and place for them. This happened to me in this environment. This happened to me in this place, in this situation, and it was an extraordinary experience, it was a wonderful experience, it affected my life, and there are numbers of people in this hall and elsewhere who, appropriately and rightly, will speak of certain experiences, significant experiences which have uh, confirmed something different, which appear, appear, not to be of this world. And sometimes a person, man, a woman, sometimes hungers for something that's not just in the world of the describer and the described and all the conventional pleasures and pains of life and, and senses somewhere inside of him, somewhere inside of her, that there is something more than just that. And sometimes organically and naturally and in the flow of things, these arise but yet they pass yet they pass yet that extraordinary uh, shift of feelings and sensitivities and immediacies that take place that it comes and it passes and in its coming and its passing sometimes we have said to ourselves and have said to each other that experience which I had change my life and it's a, uh, an accurate statement and another person another person said I had this incredible experience in 
some points or points in my life. But actually, I had that. It was wonderful. I'd never had such a thing before. Yet, I can't honestly say that that, whatever it was, uh, actually changed my life in a, in a very significant way. How is it both people, both attempting to give description to experience, both floundering with words and with language and the difficulties and limitations, both seemingly describing something extraordinarily similar as a, as a mystical experience, as a religious experience in some way or other, and for one it's changed him or her, and for the other it seems to have done nothing but left a memory. What makes the difference? Even when the describer of experience is helpless and feels that impotency, as I mentioned, <coughs> still, as I say, that experience is of time. It can be significant or utterly insignificant. The size of the experience, the manner of it, the time, the place of it seems rather irrelevant. But sometimes there isn't any movement left at all. Sometimes we are silent. And it's not only that the bodily life has lost its substance, but the movement, inner movement of life, also loses it, then what are we to say? Hard enough to give description to that which is of this world, hard enough to give description to that which is of bodily life, hard enough of religious, spiritual, mystical life. But what happens when none of that is of relevance? When anything of this world has lost its substance for us. <coughs> One person came today speaking of his experience, speaking of his uh, awarenesses, and spoke about the outer expressions of it, as I mentioned to you, and then said in it, where the difficulty can lie, how when we speak of, we make something of. When we speak of, we make something of. When we speak of, we make something of. And when we cannot, of that which we cannot speak, we cannot make something of. And so thus I say in our silence, when we are looking out to this everyday world will see change. Where does all this change have its rest? Where, please ask yourself, your life depends on such questions, where does all this change find its rest? Where does all this manifestation of bodily life find its rest? Where does all the manifestation of the diversity of all forms of human experience, the most gross and the most violent, right down to the most deep and the most mystical and the most uh, 
extraordinary, where does all of those experiences, from the grossest to the most subtle, where does all that also find its rest? In what? What is it that it all rests with? And I can't say it's in myself. Myself, what is that? I can't say that it rests in something, because if it rests in something, then I can get to that thing, I can then describe that thing, I can form a relationship with that thing. What is it that all this which appears far and wide, where does it all end? And could it be that that in which it all ends, that in which all of this is absorbed and always has been absorbed in, is immediately available, so available for, for us that we can say, I know that and my birth and my death and my coming and my going makes no difference to it because it all rests there. and that we can discover and we can realize that before we took birth. We can realize that before our body moved. We can realize that before the mind and the heart and the experiences ever surged into consciousness. And somewhere that awareness Somewhere that silence and stillness, somewhere there, all this rests. That rest is the peace which is unshakable, undisturbed peace. And when we sense that, when that's so clear to awareness. Our actual looking out of this world, when we know that which is not of this world, that looking out of this world, the extraordinary and beautiful thing is that that which is not of this world is revealed most clearly and most obviously in this world. That which is not of this world, which is unshakably of peace, that which we see is that which is not of this world. The very wonder that the objects, the human beings, the sound of the animals, the night sky and the earth and all of the activity that that which is not of this world, which is peace, undiluted, unshakable, is revealed everywhere. We see this peace. All things share the nature of this peace.
May all beings live in peace. May all beings live in harmony. May all beings live in peace and harmony. Let us have some silent minutes together, shall we please? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.